0: Coming up, the number one fantasy book podcast, breaking down the scrolls and spells of nerd culture. We're Phantology. You may have heard of us. Hello, listeners, to another episode of Phantology Podcast. Today, we are going to be reviewing Starsight by Brandon Sanderson. Brandon's foray into the YA genre, which he does from time to time. When he takes breaks from writing our favorite, awesome, epic fantasy series, the Stormlight Archive, I'm joined by Josh right now, and Ben may grace us with his presence in a second. He's coming in remotely. So before we jump too much into the book, uh, I think we wanted to recap Skyward, the first book in the series. So Josh, just kind of tell us real quick, did you? Did you uh, what did you think the series? So far, having read two books, how does the first book compare to the second book in your opinion?
1: So I actually just read both of these back to back. I didn't read Skyward when it first came out, but I read it shortly after this one came out. And I enjoyed both of them. I think that it did take a pretty drastic shift between book one and two in terms of the setting, the plot, the characters. We kind of switched up a lot. And I thought that the first one did a good job of introducing this world and this conflict and uh, kind of get got you an intimate view of this character and got you behind her and uh, did a good job with setting up this small world and this conflict that they were going to. But then book two introduced us to much, a much wider galactic uh, conflict that was going on that was pretty drastic from book one so I, I enjoyed them both, but for pretty different reasons.
0: Yeah, and thinking about it, I think I liked book one quite a bit more than book two. And I'm not sure if that's just a personal thing where I get attached to the world and characters that he creates in book one, and then I have trouble switching over to the second book. But uh, actually, I think in several of Sanderson's series, I've liked the first book quite a bit more than his future entries. Like I didn't really love Well of Ascension, after reading Mistborn 1. And then Words of Radiance, I thought, was a little weaker than Way of Kings.
1: So I'm actually going to disagree with you on this one. I, I kind of enjoyed Starsight better than Skyward. And I think that the reason for that is because I listened to them back to back. And so I didn't I wasn't expecting to come back to these characters or I, I didn't have that time to build up the expectation to come back to these characters because I just listened to one and then straight into the other. And so I, I liked a little bit more of the side conflicts that was going on and her introduction into all these kind of political machinations that were going on, as opposed to just kind of the school, military school setting of the first book.
0: So I guess you're advocating for us to just wait until book series are completely finished and then just binge them, right?
1: Well, no, I mean, it's fun. It's more fun to be part of the cultural moment when they come out and to be able to take part in these discussions, which is why I burnt through both both of these books in preparation for this these kind of conversations. But
0: Yeah, the cultural moments of Phantology Podcast, right? <laughs> of course, of course. Yeah, we were actually talking about something similar today. Um, around the netflix com- netflix compared to hbo release strategy for their tv series right so netflix and amazon as well just drop everything right away but hbo for game of thrones releases them every week and we were debating uh, with a couple other friends what the best strategy was so at least for uh for, for books I and mean, books are obviously very different but
1: yeah, and we and we were talking specifically about the Wheel of Time. What we kind of hope Amazon does with it, if they drop it all at once, or if they spread it out, and I think that different shows lend themselves to different release schedules. But with books, obviously, you're going to have to wait.
0: Unfortunately, even even with someone as prolific as as Brandon, uh, we we do have to wait at least a year from from entry to entry.
1: Oh, we, our, our poor souls having to having to wait. But yeah, anyway, I think that I. Overall, I think I enjoyed book two more than book one just because it expanded out the conflict and gave us a lot more information. Whereas book one, I felt like we were just waiting on to figure out why her father, quote, ran away from the fight. We always knew that there was going to be some resolve to that. But I feel like the entire book one was just building up to that. And then that was handled... I wasn't super satisfied, honestly, in book one with how that was resolved. I think that book, two gave a lot more context on it. But if I was just reading book one um, and then had to wait, then I wouldn't have been super satisfied with that.
0: Oh, interesting. I, I never really thought about that. Yeah. So I guess we, let's, be, let's give a little recap of book one for our listeners who maybe, maybe it's been a little bit of time and they want to join the conversation but need to remember some details. So I wrote up a quick little blurb here um spensa is a somewhat bloodthirsty 16-ish year old girl that always wanted to be a pilot she lives in a small colony of human civilization on the planet detritus which is under constant attack from an unknown enemy known as the krell as the story unfolds spensa joins flight school and begins her training but not without opposition her father infamously turned yellow and let down all of humanity humanity in a critical battle in the past which is what josh was just referencing So determined to do better, Spence does everything she can to succeed in school, even going as far as sleeping in a cavern because she is denied a birth in the student dorms. During this seclusion, she works to repair an ancient starfighter that she finds at some point, and time passes, she becomes a better pilot, flies more and more missions, several of her friends actually perish, tragically, and eventually she finishes the ship, names it Mbot, and it has a very lively AI personality. She uses it to save the day when it looks like the Krell are finally about to break through and destroy humanity. And then towards the end, several things are revealed that her father was not a coward, but actually a Cytonic, which, like Spensa, is someone who can connect with this unknown other dimension where faster than light travel is possible. And they also learn that Detritus, their planet, is essentially a prison, and the Krell are there to keep the colony of humans busy.
1: Yeah, that was a really good summary.
0: Thank you. So I guess you liked book two better.
1: Yeah, I, I like book two better. I think it was more of a more interesting things were going on, in my opinion. I think book one really got you attached to Spencer, which I was, I really like her as a character. I like the character growth that she goes through in book one. And I like, I like a lot of things about book one, but I feel like book two gives you this more it's more plot heavy i think and more things to think about and more um more information to process and also maybe some maybe some better themes i think themes that i was more interested in
0: yeah i think he does uh, he does a nice job of hitting on some deeper themes even though this is a ya novel and sometimes you don't see that quite as much um i i really like the world building in the first book and it did a good job of setting up, uh, you know, the rest of the series. I, I get attracted to schools in fantasy book series, so maybe that was part of the reason why I liked the first book so much. I mean, Name of the Wind is my my favorite book of all time, and just love the the university there. So, yeah, maybe that's just I'm I'm just a nerd and, and can never get enough school.
1: Yeah, I, I I mean, don't get me wrong, I like that setting. I think another reason why I like book two is because it leaned a lot more on the sci-fi aspects of it. It introduced all these aliens. It leaned into technology a lot more. It introduced us to more cultures and took a much more sci-fi grasp and direction with the series. Whereas book one was kind of a sci-fi, science fiction fantasy book. I don't, I don't know. It it didn't have too many sci-fi elements in
0: book one. How well do you think he does sci-fi? Versus fantasy. It sounds like you're suggesting that maybe he's crossing over the genres.
1: Yeah. I mean, fantasy, I think, incorporates science fiction. I think science fiction is like a subgenre of fantasy. And I think he's expanding into science fiction and going and trying his hand out on it as opposed to, you know, epic fantasy like Stormlight or kind of Western fantasy like Mistborn Era 2. And so I think that he does it well, but I'm glad that he's trying it out.
0: I tuned into his little live stream that he was doing the other day while he was signing all the leather bound copies of way of Kings, uh, him and his parrot, and, and his massive replica shard blade in the background.
1: Okay, okay. So, so trivia, what's the parrot's parents name?
0: Uh, I was hoping you wouldn't ask that because, uh, I, this I is, forgot this is
1: deep, deep Brandon trivia. It's yeah. Magellan.
0: Yep. Yep. That's right.
1: Which I, I did not know that before that stream.
0: Yeah, Magellan has quite the personality. He does, but uh, any anyway. So in the live stream, he uh, Brandon likes to go off on tangents, and he's quite wordy. Maybe we should have him on the podcast sometime. He'd be a a great addition. But uh, he he was he was talking about the origins of MBOT and of the story and. I think he, he always wanted to write a dragon story because he said the dragons were his favorite animals growing up. Maybe he never really realized they were not real creatures, but <laughs> Mbot is his dragon, right? So he he's crossing over fantasy and, and sci-fi in that way. I think he didn't want to just write a straight-up dragon story because that's just been done so much, and he likes to be really unique. But uh, I think yeah yeah. So that's that's my input on his sci-fi versus fantasy tendencies, leanings.
1: I, well, I think we are going to get a dragon story with Dragonsteel. I think that he has said that there are going to be dragons and that series one comes out.
0: Yeah, that's that's more kind of deep Cosmere lore. I mean, we know yeah. that, I think it's confirmed from words of Brandon, as the internet likes to say, that uh, the interludes of Way of Kings, there's a letter that's being written between Hoyd and some mysterious other being and, he, and it, we've heard that that's a dragon but we don't really know much other than the, the name of the story that is supposedly going to be written in like 2040 or something with dragons so maybe by 2040 dragons will be cool again and he can write another dragon story
1: hopefully once people recover from game of thrones we can get some more good dragons and maybe the cgi will be a bit better than the witcher dragon
0: <laughs> yes not my favorite dragon
1: well, I feel like that was a good review of book one. Let's go over a quick content rating for book two, and then we can start getting into spoilers.
0: Oh, and also Ben. Ben is on the line. Hi, y'all. Good to be here. Good timing. So, hey, you just finished the series like an hour ago, right?
1: I did, yeah. that's uh, That was keeping me from from joining the podcast, so I had to kind of speed read the ending there.
0: Did you read the last hour at like 3x speed to make it, or are we okay here? <laughs> I, I'm pretty good.
1: I feel like um, I'm pretty good. I got, I got, I got it under control.
0: All right. Well, happy to have you. Uh, yeah. So, Josh, you wanted to do a content rating for the second book. Uh, really, there's no content here. It's a YA series. It's like a PG book. There's some violence. Some characters die. There's, there's not much. I mean, there's not much in terms of like mature themes or anything like that. So, I don't think you need to worry about that at all.
1: Yeah, I think if you're analyzing this, like if you're thinking about giving it to your like 10 year old nephew or something, then maybe you'd be concerned about some of the violence that happens. There's points where the characters have to confront killing their friends or who they consider friends. So stuff like that. But like in terms of, in terms of like the actual like descriptions of violence or, or um, other content, there's, there's nothing there. Yeah, if we look at books that we are generally considered young adult, like Hunger Games, this is nowhere near as violent as Hunger Games. So I think this is definitely on the lighter end of violence and content for even young adult fiction. You're right, maybe 10 might be a little young, but I personally think you should be reading whatever you give your 10-year-old anyway, just as a primer. But I think anyone should be able to handle it. As long as you can handle the word scud or scudding, you should be good to go. Yeah. I think it's like, it's probably less violence than Harry Potter, honestly.
0: So I mean, yeah.
1: Then the later Harry Potter books. Yeah.
0: yeah. So that's a good reference point for you. Hey, Sectumsempra! Sempra, There was a lot of blood there.
1: Ooh. Ooh, you're, you are correct. Yeah. And you had like Moaning Myrtle being like murdered in the girl's bathroom by a basilisk. So, I
0: mean. That second book terrorized me. When I was, when I was a kid, I was, I was afraid I was hearing voices and I was legitimately terrified. Were you walking around with a little personal mirror? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
1: yeah. Stephen Stephen looking around corners with a mirror.
0: I can't remember if I was, but I would not be surprised.
1: Were, were you terrified of the snake or just of, of yeah. hidden danger? Yeah. No, the really? snake,
0: I mean, the voice was creepy. I don't know if it was the book or the movie. It was probably the movie. Because I don't think a book would have terrified me that much, but yeah.
1: Well, just as a background, in Ben and I growing up, we had an older brother that that had a ton of snakes that would breed snakes. So it would have been a very real possibility if you were in our home when we were about ten years old that that you could have found a, a rather large snake.
0: Real life basilisk. I would have been petrified. But um. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. So let's get into some spoilers for book two.
0: Yeah, should we? Uh, so I wrote up another quick little recap of, of book two plots. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll just read through it real quick and I'll kind of get us started, get the juices flowing. So an alien crash lands on Detritus and gives Spensa unknown coordinates to a location she can travel to cytonically. Without much planning at all, she, faster than light, jumps to Starsight, an alien city, and enrolls in the Superiority Military in order to impersonate the alien and infiltrate the evil, oppressive final empire. Spencer learns the real fight is against the Delvers, destructive entities from the Cytonic world that humans had previously tried to harness in war. The military she is part of now trains to stop Delvers, and while she makes friends and secretly tries to steal intel and FTL tech, there is also this looming threat of the Delvers the whole time. Finally, she becomes embroiled in a political play for power, and is sent as part of the military to destroy detritus a delver is summoned she redirects it to star side and then jumps back over to star side and stops it entirely before it can do any harm also just wrapping up doom slug is a hyperdrive jorgen is also a cytonic and then spencer disappears into the upside down with Mbot in drone form as the book ends on a cliffhanger
1: Ooh. nicely done Nicely done. So I think I
0: would correct you on one thing. I don't know if Jorgen's a cytonic. He's like the inverse of a cytonic. He's like Finn from Star Wars. He's force sensitive, but doesn't necessarily have the full power. That's the best analogy I have.
1: Yeah, I mean, he can find the the doomsday slugs or whatever. Um, so that's that's a cool talent that he has. And you're left you're left kind of wondering that if he and Spencer were to finally rekindle their Romance that would have just been hinted at since the beginning of book one. If they could uh, make some high-powered cytonic babies,
0: probably there, there's probably some kind of connection between them that we'll see fleshed out more. I kind of wish we had more Jorgen viewpoints. I Jorgen's kind of a, a fun character, and you know the jerk face interactions from book one. I kind of miss that. So
1: okay, let's talk about that kiss. Did you guys like it?
0: No. Look it.
1: I mean, okay, going back to that that, um, Q&A session that Sanderson did, he talked about how much he hated hitting the reset button on, like, in between series, and he totally hit the reset button on book two. It was just like, like, let's have some meaningful character development and meaningful, like, character interactions, and then, like, let's just hit the reset button on it, so... I thought that the I liked the kiss at when it happened, and then I hated the kiss by the end of the book.
0: Well, did he reset, or did he just do some growth off camera in the six months between books?
1: I think Ben's saying by having Spencer just jump to uh, like a completely different setting that he hit the reset button after the first few chapters of this book. Yeah, it was kind of like he he maybe wrote himself into a corner that, or maybe like wrote himself into a path that he didn't want to be going down. And so he kind of, like, gave the fans what they wanted at the beginning and then, like, just went down.
0: I see what you're saying. Yeah, so so you're saying the jump over to StarSight and just leaving everyone else behind was somewhat of a reset because, uh, like, some of our favorite characters from Spence's flight, sh- flight crew, we never even really saw.
1: Yeah, like, Raj. Raj was the man. Raj was, like, what every fantasy nerd aspires to be.
0: And, and he had, like, two lines, right? yeah yeah so so i
1: never really liked the whole romance that was developing i kind of was hoping that you would go back, back to raj like be attracted to his confidence or whatever i know that's probably not a very popular opinion but i thought it was just super kind of out of the blue and it might be well i saw star wars this decade but i think that this is now my second least favorite kiss that has happened this decade.
0: <laughs> okay, so real talk, have you liked any of Sanderson's romance in any of his books? Because I haven't. I'm sorry, I haven't.
1: Okay, so so I guess this is full spoilers for pretty much all of Sanderson's books for the next few minutes um, in terms of love interests, if you care about that, which people don't usually.
0: Hopefully, no, hopefully you do care about love. It's a, it's an important human part. Well, in
1: terms of how Sanderson handles it, I mean... So, okay, I did like Ellen and Vin. I like their romance. I think that's been my favorite romance that he's had in his books.
0: It was all right. Ellen was just kind of lame. I, I don't know. I mean, he gets misborn powers later on and he gets cool, but... Yeah. Well, that's he so, was boring.
1: Ellen is Raj of the series, so... <laughs> yeah, and then I, I, I also like um, how he shied away from doing the love triangle Anymore in the Stormlight. You know, there was that period where he was doing Shallan and Kaladin.
0: Yeah, and after Ad- book two, I was full in on, uh, on Kaladin and Shallan, and then he, that never really went anywhere in book three.
1: Well, they tried, because he tried doing the Love Triangle thing in book three to some, you know, some success, I guess. It wasn't terrible, but I'm happy that she made up her mind, and I think that was an important moment of growth for her character to kind of pick Adeline and stay Kaladin, you know. Calvin's just kind of, he, she's moved on from him.
0: When they were adventuring down in the caverns in book two, and it was kind of like some romance developing and stuff, I was all in for that. I was there for that. That was, that was good stuff. But you know then, I, and then she just revealed that she was full on crazy in the third book and it was like, okay, hard pass.
1: <laughs> well, here's the thing. I just, I'm rereading the second book, the um, Words of Radiance right now. And I just got to the part where she made um Adolin admit that he shot himself in his chart plate. And so oh, oh. I, I 10 out of 10 love that scene. So you like it? Uh, you know, I, I did. I found myself chuckling. You know, oh, I know that gosh,
0: I no. lines. Let's let's carry that thread back to the series we're supposed to be reviewing. Okay, so okay. Sanderson humor, right? Um <laughs> do you do you like it? Did you like it in this book?
1: Okay, here's the thing. I did not like Mbot. Humor, but I liked all the other humor. Really? Yeah. Embot just seemed too like stereotypical. Um, you know. It's like if you ask Alexa or Google or Siri to tell you a joke, then that's like what Embot would say. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? You know what was my problem with with Embot is I kept on comparing him to oh, what's the AI that um, like develops later on in like *Speaker of the Dead*, like like *Ender's Game* AI. Haven't read him. Oh man, I forget the name. But that AI was like AI done right. You know, like how um, in that series, light spoilers, like the AI, it's like like seconds are almost like years for the AI because of how fast it processes things. And so you kind of have some like interesting dynamics for that. And I couldn't help but think of those dynamics when the Mbot was just like chilling out. So anyway. So I believe the AI name that you're looking for, Ben, is Jane from Ender's Game. And I do really like that comparison. I think that Brandon leaned into talking about making some comparisons with how when he was shut off, it said it seemed like a really long time, and it's because he processes things you know a thousand times faster than humans process process things. He talked about that a little.
0: I can't believe you didn't think MBot was funny. I I thought he was funny. Maybe I'm just a sucker for AI slash computer jokes. I don't know. I, I thought the things he was saying were funny. He was becoming self-aware and I I was there for that. So what, so you like that humor. What humor didn't you like throughout it? I didn't like, so he didn't do this as much as book two, but I didn't like Spence's like bloodthirsty rants that she would go mm-hmm. on where she talked about like destroying the, the, you know, the bones of her enemies and walking on their corpses and, I, I don't, that was just too much for me. It was weird. <laughs> so put picture yourself as an
1: eleven year old. Do you think you would have enjoyed it as an eleven year old?
0: Man, I can't picture myself as an eleven year old.
1: Stephen was a scared scared of bestsellers. So, yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Steve, Stephen wouldn't have been allowed to read these books. <laughs> I, I believe I met you as a we were, were you twelve or thirteen when we. When
0: oh, we were we were like fourteen. We're starting high school.
1: Starting high school. Okay, so yeah, I don't think you would have liked that at that age. I don't know. Yeah, I agree. I didn't like that, but I do feel like it was—it was just a way to build her character quickly. I feel like that's actually one of my biggest like problems with these books. Is it kind of feels like Sanderson took like cheap shortcuts. Like, well, yeah. are you comparing these to epic fantasy to Stormlight, where it takes? Well, okay, here's the thing. How long? They're still like what four or five hundred page books.
0: Yeah, I think like five hundred ish.
1: Yeah, so it's not like they're short right 500 books 500 pages still long book
0: so you didn't like some of the cheap shortcuts did you think that the book was like a bit too formulaic because as i was reading this i read all of sanderson's books now and i can definitely identify kind of the sanderson formula to how a lot of his plots go and this definitely followed that so are you kind of at that point where you you it was predictable or you were like okay i know Essentially, the outline of where the story is going to go, and I f- and I felt like it was too cheap, shortcutty, too formulaic.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I think that I don't know if the um, like outline bugs me so much because at the end of the day, like most books are going to follow that outline of kind of like building suspension, the suspension, and then kind of resolving it in a cool way. I think what bothered me on this book is I didn't know if things were intentional or not. Like for example, in like the um, the slugs were revealed to be the Cytonic hyperdrive. I don't know if that was like, kind of, like retroactively added. You know?
0: No way. No, he was no, always planning on. on doing that. I don't know. It felt it felt more forced than normal. Why, why introduce him in book one then?
1: I think he wanted to like you know how Disney does the classic like cute animal thing. I think I think that was I think that's where it was going, and then people made such a big deal about it that that he wrote no it. okay no you're wrong because look. He, they found that slug next to Embot, M- right? Yeah, and, and Mbot was there looking for those slugs. That was like his main purpose. So I, to, yeah. So I come on, that. that wasn't all retconned. I
0: it might it felt more retconned than it normally does. That's all. No, I'm saying. here's the thing about Sanderson's book books. A lot of times, it, you do kind of get that feeling. Um, I guess like, I'm not going to do spoilers for Stormlight Archive, but there are some things in Stormlight Archive that are mentioned a few times. And he kind of builds it up and you think, okay, this is something that's important. But it seems like a really big thing. Maybe we won't even see it in this book. And then, bam, by the end, it's like, okay, here we are going to the place. Um, that's yeah. book two, in case you can kind of guess at what I'm, what I'm hitting at. Um, and I think this was kind of the same thing. Like, okay, Doom Slug is here. Mm, what's the point of Doom Slug? Okay, bam, by the end, Doom Slug is vital yeah
1: yeah and, and we I, you always knew that Doomslug was going to be important or something like i didn't i totally didn't see the that he was the kind of fuel or whatever to help people go into cytonic mode or travel cytonically but you always knew that there was a purpose that he was there and i don't think it was retconned at all i think that he had that planned out it was fun that's fair okay i i think it'll be interesting to hear him talk about this a bit more like if he, ever, if he ever goes into detail about it during like a Q&A session. But I don't know. I guess, so the other thing that I will say about this is I think book three is going to determine quite a bit for me whether I like book two or not. If book three, if we see kind of like this melding of worlds where, where Spensa is kind of helping to bridge these two seemingly like unbridgeable divides, then, then I think I'll really like book two. Right now, I think it just kind of took us in a weird direction.
0: You know, this is four books, right?
1: Oh, is it four books? Yeah. Oh, wow! Well, I did not know that. Yeah, so what I think we we're talking about earlier is that book one set up this cool world. And then book two, I felt like kind of did away with some of the stakes of book one in some ways and in other ways that made it look like that whole thing was a microcosm for all these different political machinations. But I personally enjoyed the setting of book two more. And I enjoyed the different aliens and the different um, perspectives that we got in book two more. And so I think that it is going to be telling with where it goes from here, what's going to matter and what's not going to matter.
0: You liked a lot of the themes in book two more, right, Josh? So tell us about that.
1: So, yeah, I like the themes of people all having, being different, you know, like there's a lot of different aliens. There's a lot of different cultures that exist and, if we're not careful, then we can let those differences uh, divide us, or we can let them be what allows us to um, kind of save the day. And so Spencer comes in and is totally different and seen as dangerous and seen as uh, a menace to society, both her persona um, and her, who she actually is. So even like the race that she's pretending to be is still seen as being somewhat dangerous and on the margins of society and um so i like kind of how she deals with that and the different ways that that's talked about throughout the book yeah i feel like i feel like it's a little bit bludgeony the way he does it though you know it kind of feels like you're like in i don't know we just got done with christmas and i watched rudolph the red-nosed reindeer like 100 times where they kind of go to the land of unwanted toys it kind of feels like that you know what i mean like where here's like this flight crew of of these ostracized races and and it's just by chance that they're all put together you know i feel like it's, it's a little bit like it is thematic but it's still it's a little bit funny.
0: i can see that a little bit but in a different way like there were a few sequences where she was reflecting on all the cultures in, in star site and she was kind of realizing okay you know these are all just people like me they all have their hopes and dreams and she, there's one part where she says emba what are they talking about it's like, oh, they're talking about picking up their children from daycare. You know, it's just something so normal yeah. like that. Um, and, but Spence is always reminding herself, like, no, these are the enemy. They're they're all very evil. And, you know, I can't trust their lies. And the housekeeper is spying on me. And as a reader, we're like, okay, obviously this is not true. And so it was a little corny there because it's like, okay, enough, Spencer. like, we get it, but we know that that's not really the case. But it does do a really good job of showing her character development, right? Yeah. and
1: and I really love the whole smiling thing the fact that she was seeing the smile as being this awkward you know uh sneer and make trying to make her feel uncomfortable whereas it was really meant to be an olive branch and like help her feel more comfortable and I think I've been in different cultural settings where I'm not too familiar with um with the culture of those that I'm with um and I end up you know, making mistakes and and making it kind of worse because of because even if I'm what I'm trying to do isn't working, and it it is hard to build relationships with people across different cultures. But I think that the important thing is that you try and that you um, have an open channel of communication. And I think that this book does a good job of demonstrating that.
0: Yeah. And I like that it wasn't just our hero, Spencer, that was developing. At the same time, you know, there were other members of her flight crew who were like, oh, you." when they realized that she was a human, um, they were somewhat okay with it. Like, they started working with her, and they realized, you know, based off my past interactions with Spencer, she's actually not a bloodthirsty warrior, even though we know being inside of her, uh, being inside of her head, she actually is, but that's just because she's crazy. But, um, you know, at the, at, we also saw, like Josh was talking about the smiling thing, so Kuna, which was uh kuna was one of the aliens um a dione she is the head of the uh the superiority department of species interrogation or integration rather and she is very uh, apologetic towards the humans and eventually extends an olive branch herself and she smiles and Spencer's is like oh holy cow she's smiling and she has adapted to my culture
1: yeah i think that i think Kuna was probably one of the best parts of the book, um, and I think that it could have played played it up a little bit. I feel like I can until the very end. I didn't really care whether it was like whiz, what was his name Wiznick, whiz, whatever.
0: The, yeah, I think Wiznick.
1: Yeah, Wiznick. Like
0: I had a hard nope. time. No, Wenzick.
1: Wenzick. I had a hard time differentiating between those two until like obviously it became apparent that there was an extreme difference between them. But like throughout the first half of the book, I was like, Oh, these two high up people in the government are just kind of there. Well, I feel like that was almost kind of purposeful because that's what spent uh, a, yeah. how she has being, you know, Oh, they might have different, about that, but really they're both enemy and both hate me. So they're trying to find me. Da, da, da. So I think that was a deliberate choice. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I like that. I was thinking personally, I was unable to, I had the same experience. I, I, had a hard time telling them apart i think part of that might have been just listening um and and they're both alien names and like you know if you've listened to the podcast before i don't like weird sounding names and both of these are weird sounding names so i had a hard time keeping them straight of course but that is a good point josh i think in spence's view they were somewhat of the same character and then by the end you realized oh they're actually complete opposites with opposite goals and one is good and one is evil
1: so the final the final battle scene I thought was the best moment of the book where she realizes that she's trained and became friends with these people and now she might have to be fighting them. And I think that that was kind of similar to the ending of the first book how she and her all the people that had been kind of kicked kicked out of the flight went on to save the day. Whereas now it's like all these people that she's lifted up are now potentially her enemies. What do you guys think of that?
0: Yeah, yeah I liked it it was somewhat inevitable right like we always knew that this was, this conflict was going to happen between Spence's past and the and the present group of of misfits but uh yeah even though it was inevitable that's that's fine i thought it was really well uh, foreshadowed and and came to play really well
1: yeah see i think i think it could have been leaned into a little bit more i feel like she kind of got away from it relatively unscathed you know what i mean like she didn't have to shoot down any of her friends. She didn't have to witness, like, oh, who's the gerbil poet? The- Hesho.
0: Yeah. Wow. Yeah, Hesho yeah. died, man. What the heck?
1: No, no. I know he died, but, like, what if he had, like, shot down, like, one of her, oh, was Camelin or what's her
0: space friend
1: or her flight Camelin? Camelin's yeah. in
0: Wheel of Time, man. Oh. <laughs> Who's, the, who's the, actually Camelin, But <laughs> <laughs> who's the who's the girl that
1: always t- says whatever the priests say? Or oh, the same saints? Kimmel say? Saint. Kimmelin. Kimmelin, ah, I was close. She what if a, like there's like like a, a fight between those two that and she witnessed like one of them killing the other one? I feel actually, like there yeah, should have been something there that kind of raised the stakes. That could have been
0: good. Kind of, that could have been good. I, I think that could that should have happened.
1: Yeah. So it was it was good in so far that like that there was some type of conflict there, but I think he could have leaned into it a little bit more. Yeah, and the whole pacing of the ending of the book was kind of strange. I feel like it was typical Sanderson avalanche, but I feel like it was done super quickly. You know, where it's like, oh, let's Titanic jump back to home, and then like everyone follows her, and then it's just a big battle, and then kind of confused, and it's over, and then we you know and then i don't know i i I thought it happened it was a little bit sloppier than what i'm used to
0: yeah some of some of the middle some of the middle was kind of slow and then leading up i think sometimes he i've noticed that more than once where his avalanches at the end sanderson avalanche is our is our uh, the official terminology for the end of a sanderson book because it all just reveals itself and it goes on for for a while and slowly builds and builds and builds um, until it can't build anymore but um yeah sometimes leading up to that, it is a little awkward
1: yeah i feel like there's like this space that you're like all right i know it's going to happen and then there's like 100 more pages where it's not really necessary um okay i have a question okay so she kind of she experiences the delvers and she comes back more aggressive towards human humanity is that what happened to her father is that like, did he like go experience the delvers and then come back? No? Like, how, okay, how was her father controlled in the end of the first know, So,
0: so he was controlled because, um, she, he was also a Cytonic. And wait, so did the delvers just control him? The delvers must have just controlled him then. She was protected from the delver control because she had Mbot.
1: Well, what about the end where she kind of, because, because there was a moment when she, was not protected from the Delvers and kind of came back and remember like her friend gave her a hug and she was like, Oh, that was
0: like, I'm not sure. Um, it might've had to do with how open she was to, uh, to the upside down world at the time. But I, I know for a fact that the reasons having MBOT helped her be safe from the Delvers in the first book. And it says that explicitly, but obviously, yeah, she didn't have MBOT at the end of the second book so why was she safe maybe it had to do with the they were distracted right braid was screaming into the into the never never world where the delvers lived and attracting their attention so maybe Spencer was fine to do whatever she was doing mm-hmm. um yeah i'm not sure
1: and she probably had more control of her powers and of her like cytonic abilities you know she had been practicing
0: Possibly, but I think the delvers are always attracted, no matter how much control you have over your abilities.
1: Yeah, but in terms of because we know that hallucinations are a big part of what delvers can do, and so maybe that was it. Maybe her father was having hallucinations the whole time. But uh, maybe that I thought that was only if like when you're inside the del body or when you're going through that maze.
0: I think her father thought that the ships he was shooting down were the enemy ships, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. One. I think that just the fact that I have those questions, though, kind of illustrate that it could have been done a little bit more gracefully, where there could have been more like loose ends tied up. One kind of nerdy thing that I liked, and I I don't know if it said this explicitly or if I'm just inferring, is that um, the way that MBOT got got his uh, kind of super artificial intelligence was through the faster than light speed travel on his like circuit board type thing. Like so instead of just uh community like the circuits communicating via like electricity it c- communicates faster than light which is why he's also uh dangerous for the delvers i thought that was pretty cool and a you know pretty fascinating sci-fi idea
0: yeah i don't know if it said that explicitly or not but it, it makes sense right because they are the whole society is terrified of ai you see AI, ai is very dangerous and that must be why
1: yeah so i i think i don't hopefully they answer that more in and other books but uh, I think that there's a lot of cool things about I don't know if they're entering a d- another dimension when they go faster than light or what, how they're going to handle all that but I think that it's going to hopefully he introduces some really cool ideas kind of sci-fi ideas. Well M-bot. it does make you concerned for M-Bot right Like, is he going to be able to I don't know. Oh
0: come on he's not going to kill off M-Bot right?
1: Well he, you no know, he's in that drone but does that drone have faster than light technology you know? That's, that's a little because M says like, oh I feel
0: like I'm thinking though or something. Yeah.
1: Right. Because he's on a normal circuit board or motherboard yeah. or whatever. But so then he
0: starts he starts thinking faster, right? Yeah. Yeah, he does. That, and that's because has Spencer opened up her Cytonic abilities or something?
1: Oh, that could be like maybe they can kind of play off each other like that.
0: Yeah. That could be yeah.
1: good. We'll see. I, I, I mean, I think that's foreshadowing kind of Iron Man 3 where he has, there's a bunch of suits flying around helping him. I think that it's going to be a bunch of M-Bots in the final battle flying around. And Oh, yeah. I mean, they are yeah. said would, what,
0: like, would you like me if there's a thousand of me? And she's like,
1: oh, maybe. Uh, uh, yeah, I
0: guess. Yeah. She yeah. loves him 3,000, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> all, these, all, all these MCU shoutouts.
0: Yeah, I think I could see that okay,
1: happening. What, so what are some questions? we've talked about a few of them, but going forward, what are the biggest questions that we want the series to answer? So one, we need some resolution with with Jerkface and and Crazy Warrior Girl. You know, we, we need the Spencer and, and Jordan. So are, are we gonna get you, you hope that they continue their romance?
0: No, sounds like you were rooting for Raj earlier. Well look at they wrote Raj out like from the beginning. So yeah, I mean Sure. Let's let's have let them have Cytonic babies together. That sounds good. All right. We need to know uh, so Alanique, you know, Spencer's alien friend that she impersonates she's still just chilling down at Detritus. So yeah, going to be important.
1: Yeah. I mean, you'd hope. Otherwise it just becomes like a very like cheap way of progressing the plot. Like, oh, let's have let's have this messenger alien come and start everything
0: start the course of events no 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 ben that that's the thing in sanderson's book there are no things like that if there's ever anything you think is not important it's going to be important
1: yeah so i i think that would be cool to have an alliance between her people and humans and have them take on the the federate not the federation but
0: the superiority the
1: superiority yeah (laughs) Yeah. i think that would be cool yeah yeah the rebels taking on the empire Although, you know so I, are- I
0: guess we don't know exactly what's going on with the superiority because uh, what our friend w- Winsin, Winston, what's his name? Winzik. Winzik. W- Winzik. Uh, so he initiated some kind of takeover, coup, or something, yeah. right? Yeah, it
1: was a military coup.
0: Yeah. United. And, you know, we're going to, at some point, we're going to know more about the superiority and the galaxy as a whole, right? Because we've seen Starsight, but. My impression of Starsight was really big city, but it's just kind of like floating in the middle of nowhere. It's not even on a planet. There's gotta be planets involved and a lot more going on in the galaxy. So I'm sure we'll get that.
1: Yeah, yeah. So kind of exposure to um, to the broader
0: galaxy. Will My we see Earth? Will we see Earth at some point?
1: I, th- yeah, I mean, I thought that Earth would be like taken, taken, taken out by a Delver or something.
0: So here's some uh, here's some hardcore Sanderson background. So he published a book called Defending Elysium in 2009. I think it's like a short story, but it's in the same universe as Skyward. So Ooh. I haven't read it. So I, mm, I bragged earlier about having read all of Sanderson stuff. Turns out I haven't read this. But I think I'm going to go back and try to try to dig this up and read it because it's like a backstory to uh, the superiority and whatever happened here so i don't know if there's plot essential details or not but definitely connected that could be cool
1: yeah um i think that i want to see more of delver interaction like if she can kind of convince the delvers to all view humanity in a positive light that could be cool so this whole mess in the first place no, so they didn't... were trying to like like kind of just get them here and point them like like at people but like I mean, more go try and communicate with them and say, like, don't hate us. You know what I mean? Because she kind of brought that one Delver around and he left it
0: on his own volition. Yeah. So how does she have that connection with the Delver? Like, is that well, all Cytonics have or is that just a super expensive thing?
1: So I think it's implied that she's like more Cytonic than other people or that she's able to communicate better Cytonically. And because I, I think it's more of a scale cytonic ability and so she's probably super able to communicate using cytonics i don't know maybe maybe it was the whole theme of her being able to connect her learning to connect with other people and other species and she's able to transfer that ability to the cytonic like cytonically yeah i think i think one of my favorite lines throughout the whole book was infinity works both ways where like the delver was kind of just seeing infinity like this big kind of overarching thing in the human humanity was just like pests and then she was able to like show them everything that she had seen on star site where like like you mentioned earlier like these are just individuals so i thought that was cool so
0: hopefully we see more of that yeah any other final thoughts here so i, I guess uh we didn't go through and rate things but what do you guys think thumbs up thumbs down out of 10 how much you like the book so i i think i'm gonna go mm-hmm. for the book a six out of ten for the series
1: of seven out six out of ten is kind of low yeah i mean i really didn't like the direction that the second book took i i was really excited to like get more like get more cob in there get more interactions with
0: these characters that i really agree do you think it's lower because you don't like ya or do you do you like ya i
1: guess well, i, I, I like the first book and then like and then it just totally was a completely different book so i don't know so i I'm, I'm gonna flip that. I'm gonna say that I think that this book was a seven, and the series overall is marked six point five for me because there is a disconnect but i i I like this book more than like the first book, and I think it is because I didn't have the build up and the expectation of enjoying these characters and because I just read one right after the other, and I liked more of the galactic view of the second book
0: so do I have a bias towards Sanderson books like am I forced to like them just because he wrote them. Um, Possibly. There's a chance that all of my ratings of Sanderson books are inflated. That said, my unbiased view of the series, I think I'm more with Ben. I liked the first book a little more than the second book. Um, the first book, I would maybe give like an eight or nine. Liked it quite a bit. Second book still pretty solid, but uh, I don't know. Just Maybe kinda of like how what you guys were saying, the the disconnect between the two and the, the reset button that was pressed a little bit. Uh, yeah, I'll I'll say it maybe like a seven. So I think I higher rating than both of you guys. Um, so
1: so question. Okay. So I think that if I were to recommend a YA book to my I have a twelve year old nephew, I think that I might recommend this book. Okay. Would you recommend this over um oh what's the other series that you steel yeah. st- Steelheart. The Reckoners. the Reckoners. Yeah, so that's what I was gonna say. I don't know. I mean, maybe not. I, I think it would come down to if you want sci fi or if you want superhero. Okay. But so okay, so maybe I would recommend this book in this case, and still maybe I would recommend Steelheart over this or some other YA books. If I was recommending a sci fi book to a friend, I would rec I would not recommend this book unless they've they're well versed in sci-fi if i if i had a friend that came to me and said hey what sci-fi book should i read i would say ender's game or or three body
0: yeah three body problem is is really good we're finishing that right now
1: or even like the martian like i think that there's other i'm I'm super i'm not well versed in sci-fi um at all really but this would not even make the top three sci-fi books i would recommend
0: well, I, with a caveat that it's YA, right? I mean, it, YA is a huge so, different category. So you have
1: the so you have the the intersection of somebody that wants to read YA and run, wants to read sci-fi. And then this is a great fit for. Them. Sure.
0: Yeah, I yeah, agreed. Agreed. Okay. You made me realize something. I liked the romance in Stillheart.
1: Ooh, ooh, okay. All right, yeah, Megan. Yeah.
0: I I liked the corny romance in, <laughs> in, in, Just in Stillheart. There's,
1: yeah, yeah, I mean Okay. Sanderson's best romance according to Steven. That's right.
0: Oh, Sanderson's best romance is in his YA book. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, thank you for listening. Thank you for the journey you've gone through with us here. Uh, feel free to follow us on Discord, Twitter, all the, all the fun things. We're going to get a Discord server up and running and, uh, and look forward to chatting with you guys and, and hearing your reactions to all of our hot takes here. But and until next time,
1: you. Oh Good yeah, Ben. Some fan art too coming out.
0: Yeah, yeah. Look, look forward to some nice fan art. Uh, no spoilers there, so uh, get excited. But uh, you you'll see that popping up on all of our uh, different socials and everything. But uh, we will see you guys next time.